I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, welcome back to Soul Sisters. I'm Jesse Katz. A little sing-songy. I'm Dara Gollum. <laughs> I should leave the sing-songing to you. Yeah. Um, I love it when you do it. Oh, I try. Uh, so today's episode is with a very cool artist whose band has been blowing up my everything for a while since her new album came out. The band is called Japanese Breakfast, and her name is Michelle Zahner. And uh, yeah, I took a stab at seeing if she could come in and join us, and uh, she was available. So that's always nice when that happens. Yeah. You yeah. haven't seen them live, right? No. Mm-mm. Um, no, we should do that. Yeah, I would love to. <laughs> I think it would be a very cool experience. Yeah. The record is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very like immersive experience, so I'm curious how that will translate. Right. Totally. Yeah. Um, she was awesome. She has a very interesting way of working that she talked to us about. She suffers from a problem, I think, Uh, most of us wish we suffered from, which is that she completes things too quickly instead of taking her time with them. Her work obviously doesn't suffer from it. But I think, like, just as a way of living, maybe she wishes she was better at slowing down. Yeah, which is just fascinating and makes me very jealous. Right. Because it's, you know... As someone who's been working on something for 10 years, (laughs) does the idea of completion sound nice to you? I would give any. I would give my right arm to be to completed. Complete, yeah, to complete. Um, but we talked a lot about that. Just sort of like, does it bump up against the idea of like perfectionism, which I think a lot of art artists struggle with. Yeah, and just just the idea of sitting down and creating something at a given time mm-hmm. um, without waiting for the muse and the inspiration and the right yeah. moment and the right weather and the right sweater and just like totally. everything to be perfect. I've been um, hearing different things from our guests lately about that. We've had yeah, guests who are like, a lot of, a lot about who like I can't just sit down and expect something to come out. I have to wait for inspiration. And then others who are like, this is my job. I, yeah, exactly. I sit down every day and see what happens, which has always been my philosophy because I think that's a good way for artists to procrastinate is to say that they're waiting for inspiration. Mm-hmm. But you can usually find it if you force yourself to just sit. I mean, it will, I think, happen more often than if you're going about your life being distracted by everything else. Yeah. At least in my personal experience, I guess everyone's different. Well, there's a certain extent to which you, like, have to do that. Yeah. If you are going to make it not just – I don't know if it's a difference between, like, making your art and, like, making your work. There's some sort of distinction between when you just sit and let it come and then you pour it out versus, like – 
intentionally making it happen. I don't know. This the songwriting a day challenge that we talked about with Michelle is something that I think many artists have done and tried and just giving yourself that framework can mm-hmm. be like hugely helpful. I've never done anything like that. Maybe we should do something appealing. like that. I would love that. What would be I, your what would you want to create in a finite amount of time? Well, oh, like if you and I did this together. I mean, I would love to start writing again. Yeah. Like actually writing writing, writing like criticism. Oh, cool. Yeah. When we first met and uh-huh. started talking and like doing podcasting and stuff, I was like very interested in that. Um True. and and it's a it's a discipline that I don't have. Mm. Um but I would like to. So like you would give yourself a topic. Yeah. And then we would have 24 hours. <laughs> yeah, which is your job. Like you are able to do that. No, but I like there's a play that I really want to write and I've been doing the outlining and figuring out the characters, you know, but I have yet to actually start writing the fucking thing. So this actually really appeals to me. Right. And the outline is the key though. Isn't yeah. it? Like if you have a solid outline, it kind of yeah, just gets they, filled in. That's what they teach you in school. <laughs> It's true. It does help. Because if you don't outline, you will get to the third act and realize you're totally fucked. You didn't give yourself the tools you need to finish the story. Right. Well, a play is very different than something, say, like a like a an article. An essay, an yeah. essay or an yeah, article. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm always amazed when like you know <laughs> we talked about Game of Thrones last time, but I'm uh-huh. just obsessed. <laughs> um, you know, the show ends and like an article, an analysis article comes out in like the next hour. Yeah. Like how does someone and it's beautifully written. Right. And it seems almost flawless so it's like where does that's I think that's because people already yeah and they already have thoughts and opinions about the themes right and all of that and so like the details of what happened in that particular episode probably just fill in the dots yeah to the framework that they already have built in their mind okay that makes sense I don't know kind of have to have a running start yeah but I think we should do it maybe 48 hours Maybe like a Friday night to a Sunday oh, see, night. I'm already getting anxious just at the oh, thought of this. I'm getting so excited. Because <laughs> we'll have something at the end. Because we each have end, our own. We, we each have so much else to work on. <laughs> like I know, yours, I know. This kind of homework. Yeah. I like it. I like the but idea. Th- but this is the kind of thing that's always hanging over me that gives me my constant low-level stress is like, I haven't written the play yet. I haven't written the play mm-hmm. yet. It's not the other stuff that I actually have to do because I'll get it done because I have to do it. But it's the oh, stuff same. I want to do. Same. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? It's like if uh, if you want to get something done, ask a busy person or something. Yeah. You know, totally. like the busier you are, the more likely you are to get something done. Right. If I don't write it down on my list, it's not It's not happening. Or what I've been learning is ask uh, someone who has a young child because they've learned how to <laughs> oh manage their God, time. Oh, my God. How the hell? Yeah, I, I, but I, they say it's made them uh, more efficient and productive with their time. I don't understand. All right, so let's get knocked up and then give ourselves 40 oh, hours. No. <laughs> we got it all figured out. Uh, Boom. I love these intros. Oh, God. We, I'm, we really I'm unlock life. Spitzing. <laughs> <laughs> Just at the thought. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, great. Okay, well, so anyway. <laughs> Michelle's given us a lot to think about. Yes, exactly. Um, and she will and yet, you put too. on her music, you don't have to think about anything. It's just beautiful. It is beautiful. But the lyrics are about a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, it's that kind of music where you can zone out and just enjoy the sound of it. Definitely. Or listen and uh, question the purpose of right. your life <laughs> and existence. Your very existence. Yeah. yeah, which is the best kind of art. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, cool. So Michelle's honor of Japanese breakfast on Soul Sisters. The inner workings of Dara's mind. 
Sure. No, just that this is really beautiful. My cousin's dog was like now taken to eating its poop and then vomiting. <laughs> I so experienced I like a like... thing recently where I was babysitting my friends. It doesn't involve poop, but it was just eating its own vomit. It felt bad that it vomited in my car and then it started oh, yeah. trying to eat oh, it. That's like Dogs nice. always want to eat their vomit. But oh. I think it's really. You think it's, it's because your dog feels bad? I think they just really. I think like I maybe it. give it the benefit <laughs> yeah. of the doubt that I felt like it felt really bad and wanted to fix it. That's a nice maybe. way. Maybe I don't know your it. dog. I guess that's possible. I mean, it was, I was babysitting this dog, and I wanted to believe that that's why she was. Yeah, doing it. it was really gross. No, the second <laughs> my dog. So, <laughs> whatever. This is so gross. When my dog starts throwing up, which is always in the middle of the night, he like sit up in bed. <laughs> I'll be like, "Are you gonna throw up?" Gonna and then he'll like it. take himself down at the floor. <laughs> And then it'll like start to heave, and I have to perch over him so I can whisk him away the second it comes up, or he'll inhale all of it. Never getting oh, a dog. God. That's <laughs> They're so foul. Gnarly. Oh, man, and then they lick foul. your face. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, I love you. No. <laughs> well, this is a Welcome. new way to open the show. <laughs> Michelle, what's going on? <laughs> How are you? Uh, are you not so surreal? Good, yeah. <laughs> I think I needed something gross to like ground me in this moment because I've been so frazzled today. I actually feel better now. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. So, nothing gets you <laughs> focused like, like poop like, vomit. Like scat, scatological. <laughs> it's the best weirdness. way to collect your thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. Well, thanks for coming in. Are you are you touring these days? Or are you stationary. I have a miraculous three weeks off this month. Oh, okay. Um, and then I'm pretty much gone for the year once September 6th rolls around. I reached out at the right moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I actually, I discovered you recently because Tegan and Sarah were tweeting up a storm about you guys. And I was like, who's that? Okay. And then your new album came out and then like my entire Twitter sphere, Twitter sphere um, was just like buzzing about your album. So then I got into it, and I was like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah, and then I was awesome. like, I wonder if she can come on the podcast. And here you are. Here Dreams I come am. true. Yes. <laughs> Look at that. You never know until you ask. Yeah. Yeah. It's fortuitous timing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're about to go on tour? Yeah, it's our first headlining tour. Whoa. We've been nice. doing direct support for the last year and a half, so it kind of okay. feels like you're always the bridesmaid and, like, yeah. my wedding's coming up. Right. So <laughs> five weeks, yeah. So does that analogy fit? Like, are you feeling nervous, stressed? Definitely, <laughs> right, yeah. All the wedding things. <laughs> all the yeah. bride things. I feel, like, simultaneously really excited and also nervous because you get, like, all of a sudden all of the shows are your responsibility, you know, to have people come out. Right. And for a while and still it's always, every time I go somewhere, I'm like, there's no one that's going to be here. And then yeah. I'm like, oh, whoa, all these people have, have come to this thing. Yeah. Uh, so this is the first time I'm getting, like, ticket counts every week of just like you sold five tickets to you know like five more tickets in like salt lake city utah yeah and it's it's always really crazy and and really stressful and and sometimes it feels really uh, like it's going really well and sometimes it's like really nerve-wracking but i think it'll be really great to to actually get to play our full catalog and it's the first time that we have two albums out and so i'm excited to to have like the full full range because I think that when you play direct support you're always just playing the hits and so it's nice that right. like when you go out people are actually there to to see you and, and you can play a little bit more of the slower jams and like a diverse catalog yeah yeah I've never heard that term direct support before is that a very, new very word very common for term. opening for somebody or is it different um well there's 
I mean, on a lot of the tours that I've been on are like package three band tours. So there's like first of three and then Mm -hmm. direct support and then uh, the headliner. So I was direct support for Mitski and then Porches and then Alex G on pretty much like the same five week circuit in the Uh exact same direction of like down the East Coast, like (laughs) first DC, then go all the way around and then Boston and then pretty much the same venues. And and every time you go there, it's always like the same like staff and and this new headlining tour that we're doing in September is like also pretty much the same. We always play the Masquerade in Atlanta. We always play... Uh, uh, crocodile in Seattle. Always yeah. play music hall of Williamsburg. So it's it's a lot of like the same same places. Well, so nice. how, how do you feel about that tour life? See so that what is this like the third year of Japanese Breakfast? This is actually the second year of Japanese Breakfast. It's like a super. I mean, I've been playing music for five years, and I was in another band that did mostly just DIY touring, like basements and you know, getting paid in cans of soup and whatever. (laughs) Little Big League. Yeah, Little Big League. Um, We did that for like three years. And then uh, Japanese Breakfast was like a totally unexpected project that just I didn't really intend for it to do as well as it did. I was happily surprised when it did. Um, But yeah, it's been it's pretty much only been alive since like March 2016. Wow. Yeah. I don't understand that. I don't understand <laughs> accidental how, or unintentional. No, but like how you like, put these two <laughs> albums out within a year of each other. That is so yeah, insane. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm like kind of uh, a workaholic and I write pretty quickly and I'm not um Yes, I read I read some interview where you, you were talking about that and how like it's helpful for you to work with people who can slow you down. Yeah. Because you <laughs> love to complete things. Yeah. Which is the opposite from what you yeah. hear from a lot of artists. Definitely. Or like a lot of any of us. That's a blessing. Yeah, I mean it is I mean, like anything, it's like a blessing and a curse, yeah. you know. I think that for me, especially moving forward, I wanna really take my time and explore how to make my tone really great and how to improve as a musician because when you've been doing it for a while um your progress it feels so uh slow and so it's just finding new ways to to explore i don't know your creativity or whatever um but for me i I like projects to get done i like like seeing the end result and so it's always i have a ton of friends who are just amazing songwriters that never put on anything because they just get in this head loop where they're just always trying to improve it and i think for me an album is a lot like an archive of just like where i'm at in my life both in skill set and you know emotional state so it was nice to have usually when i co-produce an album at least in the la- in the case of the last two it, it's nice having a collaborator who really is like no but we needed to spend more time on this part or whatever do you think that that bumps up against a sort of perfectionism like is that the opposite of that like if you're you're like okay this is where i'm at right now it might not be like exactly perfect i could spend another 3 6 months on this but i'm going to put it out and i'm yeah, done yeah yeah i think that um at some point you have to I think that the most important thing that you have to learn as an artist is, is to let go. And I think that I I don't I'm not ha- proud of like anything I've created at a certain point in time. It's kind of like it needs to go in the cycle where like uh, as soon as I make it for the first like two or three weeks, I'm like, I love this so much. And then after that, it's like, oh, this sucks. And then but, you know, you have to let it go. And then another like two or three years go by and then you look back on it and you're like, oh, this was really was pretty good for for that time period. Wow. It's very true. <laughs> I I empathize with that feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. Um do you feel like those first two albums though kind of go together? Yeah, in a way. Yeah. Um Psychopomp 
was just such a raw and vulnerable time for me. I had lost my mom, and it was written two months after she passed away. And so a lot of the songs are just feeling, like, really, like, confused about what I was supposed to feel or just, uh, yeah, like, processing that kind of emotion. Did you decide, like... I'm grieving, I need to give myself something to do, I'm going to write an album, or were you just super inspired to write an album out of those feelings? <coughs> Excuse me. It was, like, mostly the former, I think. Mm-hmm. I was living, uh, I had moved back to Eugene, uh, Eugene, Oregon, where I, I grew up, and mm-hmm. um, I was living in Philadelphia at the time, and I had to quit my band and leave my partner and, you know, quit my job and, and all the stuff and moved back to to help support my mom through her chemo and then, you know, unfortunately have to be there when she passed away. Um, so then after that, I was just kind of stuck in the house that I grew up in that was, you know, filled with memories of my mother. And, you know, that whole house is just, you know, her doing in a lot of ways. And my dad was so freaked out and I kind of was just stuck there for six months helping him, you know, put stuff away and uh, being an emotional support system for him that I needed to carve out, like, some kind of distance and space for myself. So there was, like, you know, little cottage on the bottom of, like, my dad's five acres of land in the woods of Eugene, Oregon. I had, you know, a Bonnie Bear moment and, like, yeah. you know, just carved out a, some some project for myself, something to focus on that wasn't just like surrounded in darkness to just kind of try to process and and sort out what I was feeling. Um, So yeah, I mean, I really had no intention. I thought I would trick like a label eventually (laughs) to like put out, you know, 500 copies of a vinyl that would sell over the course of like the next 10 years of my life. And uh, I explicitly said I didn't want to tour again. And then uh, just (laughs) you you said you, you made music and said, I don't want to tour on it. Yeah, I told the label I didn't want to tour it. Because touring is so hard. Well, what, then what would you do? I would just, like, operate, like, a web store in, like, the woods. Like, and then Like, you wanted to make am- music but not perform it, really. Yeah, I mean, I just couldn't. It just wasn't ever financially. It just didn't make sense financially from what I was used to doing. Um, and what, so, was, what was your financial situation before? Just, like, working at a restaurant, uh going on tour for three weeks, getting fired from the restaurant, like scrambling to find another restaurant job for two weeks, and then so on and so forth. Like coming home with, you know, $1,000 in the hole because, you know, even though I was sleeping on floors, like gas was more expensive than, you know, whatever. It was just not realistic. And then when I got offered the Mitski tour, we actually like had a guarantee every night. There were people that were actually in the room every night. We were selling merch and it was enough for us to, to come home at least like not completely broke. But when you made that first album and you said, I don't really want to tour on it, were you going to get a day job? Yeah, I, I got a day job in New York. I was like working as a sales assistant at an advertising company. And I was just like, I just want the routine of nine to five because I'd never done it um, in a really serious way because I always kind of was like juggling music and something else to, to pay the bills. And, and this time I just wanted to really not just not focus on music anymore and just like work a work a normal nine to five job. How did you find that? Uh, I hated it, but you know, I had never really like put in the time because, especially when you work like a nine to five job in New York, it's never like you get out at five or you get out at six. It's always no, this, I've never like, met <laughs> someone who actually did that five part. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> like, there's Not this weird like opposite musical chairs where like you don't want to be the first person to get out of the office, mm-hmm. and there's this tremendous guilt, even if it's like half an hour after the time yeah. that you're supposed to be able to leave. Like, you're just you don't want to be that first person, and I just hated it. There was this great piece in the Times this past 
last week about how we go on vacation and then we make a point to answer all of our emails to prove to everyone that like we're not really on vacation. Yeah. Like God, we work so fun. hard that we can't stop answering our emails. Totally. Even though we put up the out of office <laughs> message. But then we'll like follow up on our out of office five minutes so after fact. that person's gotten it. Yeah. yeah. It's terrible. It's very gross. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so how did the Mitski tour come into play? Um, I was a big Mitski fan and I saw her play um, some, I think it was a CMJ show uh, at St. Vitus and, you know, kind of like fangirled out in the way that I think Mitski experiences a lot in her life. And uh, she was very sweet to me and we exchanged numbers and uh, she was like, oh, I, I hope you don't mind. I like submitted you to, to be direct support and I was like holy shit and then you weren't on a label or anything no I was on like a small indie label uh based out of Frostburg Maryland called Yellow K Records and I had played you know uh a couple shows in New York just for fun as solo and I didn't really have a live band together and we had just agreed to play South by Southwest and then one solo show turned into like seven full band showcases and then the Mitski tour happened uh was offered to us and then I was kind of like well it's time to quit my job and, and try this again. It's not the right time to, like, quit this, I guess. So that was 2016? Yeah. Wow. And so the album was out? The album wasn't even out. It, the album came out in April, and then I went to South by Southwest in March, but off of, like, three singles that had come out. Wow. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Very crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, when did you start writing the second album? October of 2016. <laughs> You are a workhorse. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I really am curious about the songwriting a day challenge, and I wonder how that played in. So I read about this. Yeah. That I think this was before either album. Yeah. Is that? Yeah, yeah. So, I think that was like 2014 or something, or 2013. Okay, which might help us in understand June. why like we're like, that was so fast. Mm, so you yeah. like had a bank of tons of songs, right, that like were kind of there like percolating? Yeah, I like playing sick games with myself where I, like, create some kind of weird challenge to pursue. So at the time, I had, like, three jobs, was in Little Big League, but, like, wanted to write more and felt kind of, like, in this creative rut. And uh, I came up with this idea to write and record a song every day for the month of June. And so... And then put them out. And and so there are, like, 30 really lo-fi demos that are... That, that existed and, and I um I did it again I think a year later for a week and so I, I had like you know about 37 demos to like to draw from and they were kind of just bare bone structures usually just like a verse and a chorus but it was enough like to be a good jumping off point because you know it, you just repeat the verse and the chorus maybe throw a bridge in there and, and it's a song and then it kind of gave me more time to focus on production and arrangement once like I jumped off of like that that structure. Right. So that comes from a different place than where Psychopomp came from in terms of you had tremendous inspiration, tremendous reason to write versus, okay, I have to write every single day. What was your inspiration? What were you drawing from? And was it a lot harder to do the songwriting then? Bonkers ideas. (laughs) Just like (laughs) like a song about a Pegasus or something like (laughs) just like weird, weird stuff. Uh, So you didn't like edit yourself. You're like, I think of this and I'm going to write a song. Yeah, it was kind of like an exercise in forgiveness of just like, you know, first first choice, best choice. Like what I, I don't think that's a saying that's there's some saying that's kind of like <laughs> along those lines right. but yeah. like uh yeah it was kind of just like you know I just I think that a lot of times you get caught up in just like I can't write any more songs in 
the key of G. I can't <laughs> write any more songs in drop D. I, no more capos. Like all of this like weird, these weird rules that you put out for yourself. And it was kind of just an exercise of just like, you have an hour, like get it done and then see what happens, you know? And sometimes it, it's, it was surprisingly, I like most of those songs. I think there's like four songs out of 30 that I just despise. Two out of two on your album now, on the new album, are from that time period? Maybe. Right? I don't, Maybe. I don't okay. Probably. Yeah. I recycled a lot of stuff. Probably more than that. I will that, tell you. Yeah. yeah. I know. <laughs> Dara does her research. That's awesome. Do you know which songs? <laughs> yeah, I do. Cool. <laughs> I think it's Boyish. Is that right? Mm. Boyish, actually. Yeah. Boyish was recycled from, from that era. Boyish and, um, I don't know. I had it. The title track is, is, is from there. And I think Ro- Roadhead might have Roadhead. Also, also been on there. Have. Yeah. That's funny. I have a note to myself about those two songs. Great. About you write, um, well, first of all, I just want to say I love your songwriting because your songs mm-hmm. feel like they have very specific subjects. Or like you're you're telling a specific story, or there's something that you're getting at in each song. Like it, it's like a collection of short <coughs> stories almost, if you want to look at it that way. <coughs> Those two songs are examples of songs that are talking about ways that we can really fuck you, or fuck ourselves over with sex, yeah, mm-hmm. or use it for the wrong reasons. Boyish has an amazing lyric: "I can't get you off my mind. I can't get you off in general," which is just like so clever. And also, like I get that. It's awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, so, what was my question out of that? I just was like reveling in those songs today. Just that, yeah. Um, well, first of all, I was wondering, do you did you study writing? Are you a writer, like a creative yeah. writer? I studied creative writing in college. You did, and I, and I think that you know when you study creative writing in college, a lot of times you're reading a lot of short fiction because you just don't have enough time to tackle the yeah. novel. <laughs> right. Um. So yeah, I was introduced. You know, neither one of my parents went to college, so a lot of what I was exposed to was in college. Um, so I read a lot. You know, I had particularly had a mentor, uh, Daniel Torday, who taught creative writing that I just was obsessed with. And, and Where'd you pretty, go? I went to Bryn Mawr College. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I studied a lot of short fiction, and, and I think that it taught me a lot about writing <laughs> yeah uh, yeah I think that and I, I think I brought it a bit into to my uh, songwriting in the sense that just you know you have a very li- in the same way that with um, short fiction you have a limited amount of time mm-hmm. largely either like two and a half to three and a half minutes of time right um, to discuss like uh, a thing so it's generally good to like start from like a small moment and expand upon that small moment so I think a lot of the songs kind of follow that narrative of just you know with roadhead it's like envisioning someone giving roadhead and 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 you know kind of taking a microscope to that moment and yeah. and sort of blowing it up to see what does that mean for two people and and what does that symbolize and and mm-hmm. how does that affect you know your life or whatever yeah so you do work out i mean i'm not assuming that certain things come from your real experience and certain things don't but i'm assuming like you do Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You draw from past relationships in a lot of these songs. You're also married to someone in your band now, right? Yeah, I hired him. Yeah. <laughs> I hired him a couple. Because he came at a good price. Or... Yeah. <laughs> it's available. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it got to the point where the band was doing well enough that it, we, you know, we're going to either be apart all the time uh-huh. uh, or I could put him in the band. Mm-hmm. And and we could finally, like, afford to, to not um, live in complete squalor if he joined the band. And, uh-huh. you know, we were away from each other for a majority of last year. And, yeah. you know, I felt like I could, I, I'm a... I don't know. I feel like I'm. I can tour forever now because I just, you know, this person who is my home is. is, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's nice. That makes sense to me. It's unfair to the other members of the band, but. (laughs) We talk to a lot of people who are in a serious relationship with one of the dudes in the band, Mm -hmm. actually. This is becoming a theme. Yeah. Um, Which, yeah, totally makes sense to me. Like, of course, that would solve a lot of problems. Um, But I was going to ask. Because, like, okay, if I were an artist and I was writing songs about past relationships, I think I would generally want to be coy about, like, I'm not going to talk about who this song is about or I'm not going to say, like, what actually happened to me. <coughs> but if you're playing these songs with your partner, how specific how specific do you get with him? <laughs> I think he's, like, pretty aware. Yeah, okay. Um, a lot of the songs are about him, and it's pretty funny when, when we're, we're sound checking to to sing the lyrics a cappella like into the microphone and I can't imagine like <laughs> how, how much he shakes his head about it. Um, but I think, I mean, we have a really good relationship and I, I think that he is pretty understanding that, you know, it, my perspective is, is pretty melodramatic in, in yeah. the in the songs. So Right. Artistic license. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't judge. He understands. Yeah. <laughs> but I just mean even like, does he... Yeah, I don't know. Like, are you able to say, like, I'm not going to get into that? You mean, like, who, what? If I mean, he would about... never ask, you know? Yeah. He would never ask or want to know. And I think right. that he, he kind of chooses what he, he like, researches. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, and yeah. I don't think that he does. That's smart. Not even about romantic things. I just mm-hmm. feel like if I was in a band with my partner, they might be like, what is, you know, what is this about? And feel like they had extra license for me to explain that to them. Right. You know? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a really secretive person anyway. Yeah, so, that's like, true. So, like, it doesn't really... I'm a tell-all kind of gal. Yeah. So, I, <laughs> as much as I would like to be, like, the mysterious artist type, I am not. Yeah. Both in, like, interview and right. personal right. life. It's I, I not very tra- different. I read the All Songs Considered on NPR. Like, you yeah. basically yeah. went track by track mm-hmm. and explained. Which is dumb. Which I, I kind of wish I didn't do that. But, yeah, I, I do wonder, like, how you felt about that. I was curious. Um, I mean, I for me, I'm just like, they want to know. So I'm going to tell them. Right, and you don't say like the question. I find it interesting too, but as an artist, you're literally asked to sort of like give, and you don't, you don't, you know, you're not expected to be like jokey and kind of evasive and like kind of funny. Like NPR wants you to be like straight to the point. Yeah. You know, this is what this is about. And I actually have questions based on that, which yeah, I feel a like lot is of people a little do, bit yeah. unfair to you, just a little bit because whatever, you're not a mysterious person, but like you want a little bit of like, let the listener, you know, take that for sure for yeah what it is. i do think that like there there's you know i think that there are listeners who 
um, would rather not know and rather that information not be available because I think that there are some things that I, I could have said about the, the songs that ruined it you know, ruin people's interpretation of it or, or whatever. Right, and that's the internet. You don't have to read it. You for know, sure, like yeah. they don't, you're people who don't want to. But for me, like when I was growing up, like the, the artists that really stuck with me throughout the years were, were artists that I felt like I personally knew. And I think a lot of it was because they were like, you know, um, super transparent in interviews. Not because they made a conscious choice to be, but just because that was like inherent to like, the person. Like, or something. like mm-hmm. I remember um, like watching uh, like Sean Marshall um, from Cat Power interviews like uh, when I was younger and just like her in a radio station just like, you know, talking a mile a minute about like tricking her record label into giving her an advance to like follow some guy to Australia or something like that. And I was just like, you know, you just feel so close to that artist and you feel like you know them. And, um, yeah, I just, that's just what I like. Yes. And that's how I That's why we host this podcast, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So we can get the stories. Right. Um, I wanted to ask you about an interview I read with you where you were asked about working in a male dominated industry. And you said sometimes you don't even notice it because of who you surround yourself with. Could you explain what that means exactly? Because if you have figured out a way to make that better for yourself, I think that's really great advice that you could give. Yeah, I mean, I was really lucky, and I think that like um, the the time period that uh, that this band started getting attention was a time period where uh, I think that a lot of press and other musicians and and you know the general public were trying or not the general public but at least like the indie rock world was trying to kind of push up um you know marginalized voices and and I feel very much a part of that community and feel very comfortable within it um so you know like the artists that I listen to and really value are largely women of color and um you know those are the people I've I've toured with largely and and the people I want to bring on tour and play shows with and talk to and you know text about their experiences Mm -hmm. um so yeah, I mean, I think that you, I think that things are slowly changing, and um, you know, I, I think that it's it's really cool to to be vocal about it, and and um, now if you know you have like a shitty sound person that's like a condescending asshole to you, like I said, like you play the same venues, like you know, four times within the year, like and that same sound person is always there, and if that sound person was a condescending asshole to a girl on the tour, like I'm never gonna work with that person again, and I'm gonna be very vocal about the it to the booking agents and to the venues that we never want to play there again um unless they fire this person or they never work our shows um and i think that there are a lot of like really powerful uh young women who are who also feel the same way and 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 are starting to do that and there's nothing more exhausting than having spent maybe you know 250 days on the road and have someone not treat you like you're a professional and that you do this every single day. Totally. Yeah. And that's an amazing point because we do hear that, which is something I had never thought about before we started doing this podcast, which is all the men that you have to work with when you're a touring musician or even a recording musician that are not people that we as the audience ever see, but they're generally the people who are doing the sound, who are in the recording booth, who are doing all the technical things, mm-hmm. who are very crucial to your day to day. And it's, that's where you get a lot of that kind of misogyny from definitely. is from those people. Mm-hmm. It's cool to hear you say that you will say something. Yeah. And like even protest, like, like not take a stand yeah, about it. Yeah. That's 
Yeah, I think that, I mean, it's tough in certain situations because, like, especially when you're a sport band, you don't want to, like, ruin anyone's time or, you you know, the show is not about you, you know. But now. And if you're not nice, nice, (laughs) if the sound person doesn't like you, you're fucked. Like, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, we're we're unfortunately not quite in a place where, like, we can afford to bring a front of house because it's really quite expensive to Mm. bring another person. But I I absolutely want to see more women in in front of house positions. And I I think that it's, it's becoming more um more present and a lot of it has to do with just like venues trusting women and 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 that they're capable of doing that and and so often such a crazy thing that's like that's not the case um yeah but yeah i mean i've met like a a tremendous amount of uh women that do that do sound that are tremendous at their jobs and uh i definitely want to see more of that and, and work with more of them i know that when i the last time we played Music Hall and, and Bowery, there was a very, very diverse staff, which is really cool. Do you know Marie to Kim? See. Uh, yeah, totally. She's awesome. Yeah. She's we couldn't afford her. Touch- okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I definitely reached out to her. I just recommended her yeah. to you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. She's awesome. She's amazing, yeah. Um, one of the songs, a couple of the songs kind of that uh, from this album or t- touch on this. I don't know if it's true or if this was kind of what you said to NPR, but <laughs> 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 that like Roadhead was about a guy... Who, aside from being about what it's obviously about yeah. on the surface, but, but below the surface, a guy that made you feel like you're not cut out for a career in music and how in Diving Woman, um, a feeling of feeling guilty for touring mm-hmm. <laughs> and not like staying home and have a family. Mm-hmm. Like d- were those feelings that that's not so much from the technical um, people, but that's more from like your friends or peers or or people closer to you that I think would make you feel that way is that yeah I mean I don't think that there was a particular person that made me feel that way it was just kind of like um you know brief like society asides and conversation mm-hmm. of just like when is this over you know um and I think that it's also I mean you know beyond just being a woman just like I think it's being a musician just seems like a really selfish profession um like no one would say to an accountant, like, you know, but when are you going to, you know, like... <laughs> when are you going to pick up a paintbrush? Yeah, but, like, what do you actually do? Right. You know what I mean? And, and it's very hard to convince people, like, that this is an actual job that I get paid to do, and um, especially with older people and, and, you know, family in Korea were recently. But, like, who is the company <laughs> that's paying you to do this? It was, like, a very difficult conversation to, to navigate. Um, but, yeah, I think it, it was also just largely myself of just, like, I feel really shitty being away from my partner for a year and I love my job and, and I love doing this every day, but I also feel so bad and like this is not sustainable for us to be apart for so long and, and um, just like feeling really guilty about that. And what, you know, when do you make the decision to, to fix that? You know, it's funny when I was looking at the tracks on that album, every time I've gone to play it over the last, however long since it came out, I never put that phrase together as being what it means. I think I read those two words completely separately in my mind, and it wasn't until I saw the NPR thing I was like, oh, roadhead. (laughs) Like a head made out of a road. Yeah, I don't know. My mind is on the road as a musician. It didn't occur to me to read any of your song titles literally like that. Yeah, I mean that song is like I I think I like <laughs> it's, on the road. it's like when I didn't get transparent for like the first year that it was Amazing. out, and then I was like, oh, because oh. it's a parent who's trans, <laughs> like, right? Yeah. yeah. Whoa. Um, yeah, I think that that's kind of just like my style is like you know little boy like you know sexual innuendo humor. <laughs> it's just like always makes its way onto an album. It's like, haha. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think that. 
uh, yeah, I think that there's always that song is sort of like about that moment where you're like you try to just like do something wild in a relationship, and yeah. uh, you know, um, just like this like last ditch effort of Ugh. just uh, yeah. you know, like this is this is probably not working. Let's like let's like have sex in the street, and then when you're having sex in the street, it's just like this, this is really is so not dark. working. <laughs> yeah, like that's kind yeah, of the yeah, moment yeah. you're like, okay, that didn't work at all like this is that's the end of that yeah um but yeah that song i wrote about like a a total shithead who just um was in this position where he had a successful first record and and we started dating off of uh when he started, you know, re- when he released his second album and it didn't go as, you know, went from playing to thousands of people in Europe to like, you know, maybe like 40 people in Portland, Oregon, you know what I mean? Um, the music industry is so fickle that way and it's so scary as an artist to have watched a person go, many people go through that kind of cycle and, and you know, slowly await await my own maybe. Um but yeah, like it was, uh, I think that, you know, they were not in a good place and, and, you know, I was also kind of struggling to get a new band going because like my college band had broke up and, and it was, it was a hard thing to recover from. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I think we both needed support from each other that we were both too like egomaniacal to give. Uh, and he was kind of just like, well, you know, it doesn't really seem like it's working for you. So you should probably move on while I go figure out <laughs> how to make my record work. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, it's fun. I've been like, uh, you know, like secretly like watching that band's like you know um, social media followers, and I'm I think by the end of next week, all of my platforms will have surpassed his, and it's, uh, yeah. it's a good feeling. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it feels so good petty. To be petty, right? No, but right. it's okay sometimes. But I mean, all of I think We're most human. of my success is yeah. just like really deeply rooted in a sense of revenge. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah I, that's every artist, yeah. right? Yeah. Maybe you should be a comedian. <laughs> you seem to have that kind of darkness. <laughs> might just feel your comedy yeah. in your next phase. Um, also, I want to ask you about Till Death, which is my favorite track on the album. Mm-hmm. That song, I mean, the lyrics are like, mm-hmm. they like they, they slice, like, <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Um, but this, the song has like a almost doo-wop feel to it, you know, yeah, like a very yeah. retro sound. So how did you decide to marry those two things together? I don't think it was a conscious thing. Um, I came up with the piano line, um, and when I wrote the the piano part, it, it felt really cheesy to me. Okay. And I actually... I would, the way that I wrote the record was I wrote a lot of it in the studio, um, and I had you know, really like prided myself in, in being a fast writer and, and one day went into the studio being like, okay, I got to pop another one out today and just couldn't and I felt really stuck and pretty much every time I write a song, uh, if it takes a little while, it always really just freaks me out and it's just, it's gone. What's a little while for you? Um, Like a day, you know, like or a couple <laughs> hours, just like it's not coming, like I've forgotten, I can never write a song again, that's too bad. Um, But yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so I had this like moment where I was just like, it's gone and I'm not going to be able to do it ever again. So I came back the next day and was just like, I'm going to write three songs and then wrote one of one of them was uh, was this piano line. And and, um, one thing that made uh, one of the many reasons that made Craig Hendricks an excellent co-producer was that he was in the other room. And I was like, is this cheesy? And He's like, no, it's great. It sounds like the Carpenters. It's great. And that's like enough for me to be like, it sounds like the <laughs> so I yeah so I, so I kept going with it and then um I kind of just like married uh the this you know long list of um shitty things that I felt like happened and every time I like would list like a shitty thing 
that happened in the last year, I would follow it up in the way that, you know, I had a partner that stood by me or, or a thing that my partner did to, to, to support me through that or whatever. And I, I just, you know, I kind of, um, I was kind of, a, I'm hesitant to say this, but I kind of wasn't, and it's kind of Father John Misty-ish where that it's like there, he has a song where there's just like a long list of, mm-hmm. of shitty things mm-hmm. in the world. And um, I kind of liked that sort of listing element of that song and, and it felt, yeah. It felt uh, good in that way, and I think that you know, there you know, it just started on piano, and and I wrote the vocal melody and the lyrics, and then, you know, the arrangement just kind of takes on a life of its own. I yeah. don't know why it ended up that way. I think that it's it, it feels like a song that's like very sarcastic, and I think yeah. that yeah. it needed this like really melodramatic, sweeping, um, you know, like arrangement in the in the choruses with the horns and everything. Yeah, to it's like a real be this like proclamation of love, and you right. know, from from a pile of shit right know? real juxtaposition and it ends on a real like major <clears throat> chord right yeah. with like we got, we the word what thanotopia yeah. Yeah. like which is the word i had to look up what does it mean thanatophobia is thanatophobia. A, a fear of dying oh, right yeah, so go. you have that <laughs> you're ending on that and yeah. it's like whew. yeah it's a song. Like, sort of manhole saxophone <laughs> like I, like when we when we like looked for a saxophone player i sent him like a clip art of like or it's like a stock photo of a guy in like a fedora with like a steaming manhole beside him <laughs> on like a dark street with like a saxophone and a suit and I was like this is the vibe like can you bring it <laughs> it was brought when you wrote the line while the cruel men continue to win was that before Trump had won mm-hmm. I guess you wrote that before. it was a month before but he was running mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah that's a line that pops up a couple of times I think it was like it just it's yeah. in the it's in the air at that point. It was in the air at that point. I definitely was I was conscious of that for sure. Yeah, the record feels cohesive. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't know how much was conscious or sort of like happy accidents where, you know, things would go into each other sort of seamlessly. What's that example of like one song ends and there's little, like some crinkling sounds and then you start it that way. The next song kind mm-hmm. of has that and you have some like just some ambient interludes and things like that. Was that all premeditated? Did you set out to have this overall sense or was it piecing things together and it worked out? I think it was premeditated in the sense that I like it when albums do that. And I think that it just shows like an extra level of care um, when you do do that either live or on record. Um, But then how they actually happened was definitely something that happened in the studio. Like I think, what song is Roadhead? Is the second song I think? Um, there's like, uh, we had, we used a Juno six for a lot of the keyboard parts and it was kind of an old, old guy that, um, was, would have a very, very loud, like kind of distorted sound that almost sounded like, um, an ocean. So I had, um, or like wind blowing. So, you know, you could hear the tail end of that instead of fading it out completely or, or trying to tuck it away. We were like, okay, well let's, let's Google the sound of, you know, some oceans and just like have it wash into the next song. Like touches you know? like that are so nice. Yeah. And the, <coughs> you know, often the way we consume now is single, single, single. And I love, love when you dive into an album and there's that thoughtfulness there. Yeah. I really like, you know, it's a very like um, sort of outdated uh, look at it. Coming I, back maybe though? <coughs> Would yeah. you say? I think. I mean, I do. I don't. I'd like to believe oh, that so. more I people mean, are doing uh, it, like paying attention to like the album as a form. 
Well, I think that ideally it can yeah. operate as both, you know. I think that, like, especially last year you saw, like, these incredible albums from, right. like, Solange and Frank Ocean that were really, really long albums with mm-hmm. a lot of really personal voice memo recordings and weird little skits that just felt so it just sucked you into this album you know i think especially for artists on that level where it feels like they're so like unrelatable because they're so something so perfect about them having these kind of like lo-fi touches of like these voice memos or these like you know like your recordings of of you know your mom talking or whatever um bring you into a world that 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 you maybe doesn't feel like completely right. maps on the glossy production yeah. gets stripped away a little bit yeah yeah so how are you going to spend the rest of your downtime before tour um i'm directing <laughs> What's on the to-do list yeah it's so much it's, an, it's horrible <laughs> um there's a couple of uh because when i record a record i don't think about the live sound until later on mm-hmm. it takes a bit of time to transpose that because there's a lot of instrument you know we can't bring a full you know horn section on this tour and, and we have to figure out how to how to bring it out and and with four people. Um, so we're going to spend a lot of time um, trying to figure out how we can play Till Death live. Yeah. And uh, Just y- that one song, is that the trickiest? <laughs> Till Death is a little tricky just because there's a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot yeah. of horns and, and it doesn't work so well when it's on a track or a MIDI. So we have to kind of take some time. It's also a really hard song to sing. Um, it's really, really high. It's very high for you, yeah. Yeah, and I, I actually did that vocal take laying down because you really? know, we, uh, Craig said out. that it, yeah, Craig said that it would, it could help if I laid down to sing oh. it. So either I'm going to fly enough to learn stage. how to, right, that would, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. That'd be sad. I don't know. I don't think <laughs> I don't know. You know what's hard though about people who do that? If you're standing further in the I mean, back, right. you can't see them. Yeah, but that's okay. It is okay. It's like, it's a moment. Well, then it's like a religious thing. You're like, where's this voice coming from? We'll just like roll out a cot for me (laughs) to like flop over onto to sing that song. That's a new Um, stage diving is people just like carrying you around on your back to a cot. Yeah, I'm in my late twenties now. I gotta lie down for this one. Yep. Um. So yeah, we have to we have to do some practice with the live band, and then um, I'm going to direct a music video for for another artist for the first time, which is really exciting. So that's a that's a huge thing. And then I'm also editing um the third video for for this record, which is. Uh, largely what I've been doing for the last two days, it's, um, I like had this sick idea that, that we should incorporate stop motion. So I just spent, wow. um, I spent eight hours yesterday creating, uh, 12 seconds of content yeah. and then I yeah, spent see, I eight hours I the day before. Oh so God. in the what last, are you, what are you doing? What is it? <coughs> well, in the last two days I spent six, I spent the last two days I spent 16 hours of making 27 seconds of content. <laughs> It's insane. And then today my like computer was acting up and I was like, don't do that to me, you fucker. Uh, oh God. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm painstaking. You're actually Can editing you yourself? I, I'm at uh, me and Adam are editing side by side. And, and so he'll do his stop motion stuff and I'll do my stop motion stuff. And it's really just kind of like to be there and more for moral support yeah. to just like be like, are you OK over there? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm OK. I'm going crazy. So you uh, direct and edit? Um, I didn't edit any of the other videos. Adam, Adam, okay. unfortunately, has to get roped skills. into editing. You have these skills in your wheelhouse. Um, definitely more so now from the last two days. Um, yeah. I studied, <laughs> I, I studied video production, and I, you know, I did uh, work with Final Cut in college, but no one uses it anymore. So R. I've R. been R. relearning. I've been learning how to use uh, Premiere, and um, f- for the first time on the Roadhead video, um, because I think that ideally, uh, it's good to have like. The director and the DP 
not edit and like to bring in someone who hasn't fresh who, eye yeah fresh eye and also someone who isn't like so married to the material just mm-hmm. like has no idea that we spent Tell five hours it. to build a you know a rig to make a shot you right. know it doesn't make sense you have to kind of just i think that's i feel the same way about mixing a record i think it's good to like have you know have two people get it to where they think is as far as they can go and then have someone who has no idea what went into it to come in and take it to as far as they think they can go with it um, I think that ideally we will we will someday work with an editor, but for now I just beg Adam to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, for Roadhead, um, I think that uh, a big thing for me is I really like uh, as a director like finding really special um, moments, and and so a lot of editing for me um, that I helped out with for the first time in Roadhead was just like scrubbing through all the footage and being finding some two second moment where it's just like that something yeah. happened there that's yep. like really really lovely that I, that needs to find it, its way into the edit totally so everyone should check out roadhead it's an amazing hilarious video and also sad and it's all of the, the emotions it's all the feels all for that this is above emotion monster yeah, that was one of my favorites to to make for sure it felt like I, I really had kind of figured out what what i wanted to do in a real way yeah it's beautiful so when is the uh <laughs> next album coming up oh, by no your idea. own timeline you're late on it <laughs> Oh yeah, no, I think that <laughs> I, there, there's no way I can follow up um, this album with a new one next year. Um, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna wait a, a full one for that. That's good. But I, I have a lot that. of a lot of creative projects that I want to work on before uh, a new record, and and I have no idea what I want to say yet. You know, I'm pretty yeah. like content in my life, and uh, you know, I just don't want to. You don't think you can write when you're content? I think I can. <laughs> I just think that I I have to go in it. You know, the, these last two records were so rooted in like trauma and yeah. and some real shit that I I don't really I would love to write a record that's not about that yeah um and I I, I have to reconfigure my process to to do that I think totally well I wish that for it's you a good place yes yeah. totally exactly. I'm yeah. happy awesome. happy to be here for sure nice sweet all right Michelle thank you so much yeah, guys you. soft sounds from another planet Oof. is one of the best albums that has come out Definitely. lately um and you should check it out mm-hmm. thank it's you awesome special thanks Michelle. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.